0: One of the most important missions of the United States military is defending our homeland against a range of threats. But that mission is only becoming more difficult as China, Russia, and North Korea strengthen their means to threaten Americans here at home. What is the current military threat to the American homeland and how is it changing? What does the Department of Defense need now and in the future to defend our homeland more effectively? I discuss these questions and more with two U.S. Air Force officers who have served our country in uniform for decades and accumulated thousands of flight hours. Lieutenant General David S. Naholm is the commander of Alaskan Command within United States Northern Command. He's also commander of the 11th Air Force within Pacific Air Forces and commander of the North American Aerospace Defense Command region. In other words, he's focused on the current threat. Brigadier General Joseph D. Kunkel also joins us. He is the Director of Plans, Deputy Chief of Staff Plans and Programs in the U.S. Air Force Headquarters. That means he focuses on the future threat and what we need to be doing now to prepare. I am Bradley Bowman, Senior Director of FTD's Center on Military and Political Power, standing in for Cliff May. I'm pleased you've joined us too here on Foreign Policy. Lieutenant General David Nahum, Brigadier General Joseph Conkle. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. There's so much that we could discuss, but as I often like to do, I would love just to start a little bit with helping the listeners understand a little bit about your portfolios, kind of what's in your inbox. So General Nahum, describe uh, kind of your job, your portfolio, what's in and outside your left and right limits, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Okay. Well, well, thanks for having us here today. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm, stationed up in Anchorage, Alaska at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. My current job has three hats. In the first hat, I work for the, the in, on the Pacific side for General Wilsbach and the Pacific Air Forces. And I oversee 11th Air Force, which is um, all the Air Force units in Alaska, Hawaii, and Guam, and a lot of the surrounding island in the South Pacific. Uh, in my second hat, I'm the Alaska NORAD region commander. In that hat, I work for General Van Herk inside of NORAD. We're responsible for the joint operations area, in essentially the high north in homeland defense. And my third hat, again, working for General Van Herc in his uh, NORTHCOM role as the Alaska Command Commander. And in that role, I coalesce all the military units in Alaska, looking at Homeland Defense, but really spending a lot of time on DISCA, which is defense support to civil agencies, uh, natural disasters, things like that.
0: Great. No, thank you. That's a great, great rundown. General Kunkel, you're the Director of Plans, uh, Deputy Chief of Staff Plans and Programs Headquarters, U.S. Air Force. What does that mean in layman's terms?
2: Yeah, so that's a part of the Air Force A-8 in the Headquarters Air Force Staff in the Pentagon. And as the Director of Plans, I'm responsible for taking an Air Force design and then transitioning that into actual resources that our Air Force can actually program to get into a budget to realize that the four structure modifications and transformation that we want. So generally, generally about money concerned about budgets, where we're going, uh, as we try and modernize our force. That's great. So just at risk of
0: oversimplification, you can correct me if I get it wrong, you basically the current ops guy and kind of the futures guy. Is that oversimplified
2: or is that about right? Nope, I think that's about okay, right. Okay,
0: good. All right. So I'll try to uh, not, uh, identify each of you by name so the listener knows who's, who's answering what each question as we go through. But um, I, I like to kind of structure our conversations, generally speaking, uh, in terms of headache and aspirin. So, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to me to talk about aspirin before we know the problem. Um, so I, I'd love to kind of start there with the headache. And, uh, and and we're obviously going to focus this conversation on, on the threat to our homeland. You know, we, we talk a lot about American global interests. We're a global power with global interest. Uh, I, I'm a strong believer in what happens over there is, impacts us here. And that's why we have to have a forward uh, defense posture. But, you know, one could argue the core, the fundamental task of the Department of Defense is to, to defend our homeland, I would say. And so I, I'm really excited to talk with you gentlemen about the current and evolving threats to our homeland, what we need to do to best pr- uh, protect American citizens, because that's to Ultimately, what it's about. So let's start there, um, and and I'll just do a jump ball here, and either of you can uh, jump up and uh, and grab it if you want to. Um, how would you describe the current um, nation-state threat to our homeland? Either one of you.
1: I, I guess I'll start this one since I I, I do work inside the, the NORAD chain, working work for General Van Herk. Um, the uh, obviously it's a it's a it's it is a bit of a new world with uh, with, with pure competition. Certainly, um, uh, China and Russia. Um, and we, 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 we do discuss those two countries, um, uh, v- very often. Um, uh, there's, uh, m- many threats you can say with w- with those two nations, uh, whether that's in the cyber and it's in space, airspace, uh, certainly on the surface as well. Uh, it's something we're, we're very concerned with up in Alaska. Cause if you kind of flip the, uh, the globe on its head, um, you'll see that, uh, the route to get into U.S. starts in Alaska. Um, and that's, uh, Um, and so we, we do feel like we're on the front lines a little bit with, with our, with our, our peer adversaries up, up there in Alaska. Um, there's certainly many ways, uh, with, with technology and where these countries are going that they, they can reach out and affect the U.S. and whether that's in cyber or other, other, other realms. Uh, and we're, we're, we're constantly having to adjust, uh, our operations to make sure we can defend the homeland. Uh, we did have, you know, the, the one thing that the balloon incident did, just, did uh, display that General Van Herc talked about openly was, uh, uh, the, um, the concern for the domain awareness, um, and, and for the threats that could, uh, that could come onto our nation. And it's something we, we look at constantly and what we need to adjust. And this kind of borders in General Kunkel because where we need to invest in the future to make sure we, we can have that domain awareness. Uh, so we're, uh, we are aware of what's going on with the, uh, Uh, the the two nation-states we discussed.
2: Thank you. John Kunkel, what would you add to that? Yeah, the thing that I would add to that is, you know, over the last 50 years, we've enjoyed an overwhelming technical and capacity advantage over our adversaries. And as we've spent the last 20 years in the Middle East, and and rightly so, our adversaries have watched us, and, and they've uh, demonstrated not only the capability to field systems quickly, but also to field systems that that challenge us in ways that we haven't been challenged before. So, the enemy's moving fast, and and we're in a position where we need to transform to, uh, to maintain our our uh, pace uh, against those adversaries.
1: And, and I, you know, and that, as you look at where uh, where we are with our current systems, you know we we have to be able to sense the threats. We have to be able to connect. Um, potentially take a kinetic action, shoot, and then we have to have, be in a position where we can, that, that, uh, defense can persist. Um, that concept really hasn't changed, just the, the threat has changed and, uh, and the assets we're going to be procuring in the future, um, you know, how we are sensing the, the current threats, how we are connecting. So what we give our, um, our, our strategic decision makers that decision space. Uh, that's necessary and then how we deal with the threats I think will change because the technology is changing
0: that's great um, maybe we could dive into some of the the specific uh, threats here so um, China um, you know uh, the national security strategy and the national defense strategy uh, highlight the uh, uh, the the serious threat from China um, often called the the pacing uh, uh, challenge. Uh, I, I prefer the word adversary myself, but pacing challenge. Uh, they seem to combine what makes uh, them unique and arguably, in my, in my view, more formidable than what we confronted the Soviet Union is yes, they have a hostile ideology. Uh, yes, they have a, a military that's rapidly improving, but they also have an economy roughly the size of their own. And they're using a lot of the economic wealth to conduct the largest military modernization effort in the history of the People's Republic of China. As you gentlemen uh, look both in terms of current operations and future, future plans and operations and what the Air Force and, and DOD more broadly is going to need to defend our homeland. Anything specific you'd want to say about the, the China threat to our homeland?
2: So I think the the China threat uh, specifically is growing, um, it's growing uh not only because of the ideology but because they've got the capability and and they they've they've got a technical capability that's uh increasing so you take a look at where they've been in the past and you know china in our in our past was a consumer of military goods, a consumer of russian you know goods and and now they're making their own domestically and and the domestic products they're making are are pretty good and and they're to a point where they're challenging us so I think that the probably the biggest the biggest uh, change we've seen out of China is that they're able to build stuff on their own. They're building it at scale, and they're building it at a pace that is is really challenging uh, to the United States and, and our industrial base.
1: Anything to add on that? Yeah, it's you know as you look at uh, on the current side, um, obviously uh, General Kunkel's gonna spend a lot of time on where we need to go uh, with our investment and um, uh, to make sure we can address these emerging needs throughout um, uh, in the future. When I look at my uh, inst- installations uh, throughout the Pacific um, right now, we look at the threat as it is, and, um, and I'm very concerned, obviously, with um, the location of many of our installations, um, you know, how, how we're going to operate, uh, the readiness of our units. You know, if there is a conflict in the near term, uh we're 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 gonna go to war with the uh, the Air Force we have, not the Air Force that we're we're investing into for the future. Uh and there's certainly uh, things we're addressing right now based on the current China threat. And then certainly General Kunkel not only looks at the current China threat, but where China's going as well.
2: Yeah, I would add to that, you know, the counter intervention strategy that China's got. Um, you know, they're building capabilities that are pushing us further and further out. You know, we've we we showed what we can do with precision weapons, and you know what some would say is a second offset, and uh, this 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 next offset or where we're going in the future uh, has a lot to do with range and the range of the weapons that China is uh, developing um, that push us away from our comfort zone and where we'd like to be.
1: And I would say you know, th- this is this is one of the tugs when you look at uh, the resources we have. There's certain there's certainly a tug between the modernization. Uh, and the current operations, um, I'd also say there's another tug between the readiness of the units and the current operations, too. And so I, I we're, we're, what I see in my day-to-day is those two tugs because we we certainly have to invest in the future, but we also have to be ready now. Uh, we certainly have to be in a position for operations to make sure we have the presence in the locations we want to throughout the Pacific. But at the same time, uh, units need to stay home and get ready as well. And so the, we, we see these tugs every day.
2: And sometimes it's a tale of two air forces, where you, where you've got an air force that's required to do the, the daily missions around the globe, and which, uh, in some ways, is fundamentally different than the air force that we need to modernize to to counter the threat.
0: You no, know, it's so well said. And in, in, in the Beltway, we use terms like readiness and modernization. But it, uh, you gentlemen know. I mean, you, uh, I used to fly uh, uh, Hueys that were from the Vietnam War. <laughs> you know, so we're we're literally working on systems right that are. Grandchildren will be using right now, we're still, and we're if, still flying those Hueys. By yeah, exactly. The <laughs> <way. laughs> yeah, therefore, the army put most of those away, but uh, you guys are using those for the ICBM fields, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, but no, it's and and if uh, and we'll talk about budgets uh, later on, but if, if the budget is insufficient, right, then you you're, you're forced in this tough choice between sacrificing current readiness and making the investments you need in modernization to make sure we have the force in the future. Right? Is is that about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if there were a, uh, a conflict in the Taiwan Strait, um, God forbid, let's say deterrence fails um, uh, and there were a conflict in the Taiwan Strait, uh, um, is it a crazy idea for me to be concerned about cyber attacks on bases in the United States that are generating combat power, combat support power headed to the region from China? Is that a, is
1: that a, something? I don't, I, th- I don't think it's a crazy idea, but I also don't think it. you have to wait for a conflict in the, in the East, in the uh, South China Sea, East China Sea. I think we have that threat right now. Uh-huh. And so I, I think that's a, a, you know, the, um, uh, the, the, um, uh, the threat to the homeland and the cyber is a, uh, is a constant threat. Right. And it, it, we, it and it's not going it, it's not necessarily, we don't necessarily have to wait for a conflict in, in, uh, in, in Taiwan. We're being probed.
0: I, my understanding at the unclassified level, we're being probed on a daily basis by a range of of folks, nation state and otherwise. If I'm not mistaken,
2: yeah, that's right. I think you, you we we talk about the opening salvo of the next conflict being in cyber, and I would suggest that 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 opening salvo is already occurring at this time. You know, through through probes and and uh, sometimes outright malicious behavior.
0: Yeah, and that's such an important point. Is obviously with deference to you, you, gentlemen. You know, I think sometimes Americans have this idea where a conflict is like a light switch. We're either at war or we're at peace. And so the more I learn, particularly about the way the PRC looks at it, it's more of a dial. And they're constantly dialing up or down. And um, we're already in a form. I would argue, you don't have to respond unless you want to. Already in a form of conflict where where they're taking steps, certainly in the diplomatic informational space. But uh, you know, that sounds kind of benign and harmless. But those activities could have real world military implications in the future in a, in a, in a future contingency yeah.
2: I don't know if I would use the word conflict but I would definitely use the word competition and I think you know the operations that we see China do and they like to operate in the gray zone you know where it's where it's not fully conflict and it's not fully peace it's generally competition and, and I think that's a real challenge for us because it's not something that we've had to deal with in the past.
1: Right. Yeah, and I would say the two places where you see the competition the most right now is in, in cyber and certainly in the informational space too. And I would just say we're not as equipped as we'd like to be. And especially in the informational space. So.
0: That's no, and and um and you know I was I was proud to edit an FDD monograph and in, in December 2020 um, uh, that had a, a forward by a, a member of our board Leon Panetta in it where we we um we, we you know I made the the case for for defense the value to America is having four position forces. Obviously, we want to, as you gentlemen know better than me, we want to retain some of that in, in the continental United States. But, um, you know, it seems to me the average American who doesn't do this for a, a living sometimes assumes, like, that we're still, in, like, as I've said on other podcasts in the past, that we're still in kind of 1990, 91, where the United States can go wherever we want and whatever pace we want, build up our main operating bases, commence uh, combat operations whenever we feel like it. Our bases will be protected. And, and just from my humble foxhole here, I'm trying to sound the alarm that those days, as far as I can tell, uh, are long gone and that um, we not we have to have the right mixture of forward defense and the ba- ability to quickly reinforce those forward positions. Uh, and if you buy that, then if you're facing a near-peer, peer-adversary that could be conducting cyber and other attacks on our on our generating base. Then, then that that makes cyber not a peripheral thing, but a fundamental thing to combat readiness. Anything you want to push back on or disagree uh, on? I that? think
1: you, you know you, you talk about cyber there too, but you also hit on um, the, um, uh, the the challenge of logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the 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 uh, the, um, the Iron Mountain we built up prior to Desert Storm. Um, that um, those days are probably long gone. Um, you're going to have to be much uh, – to, to move stuff is going to to be much quicker, and, and you, you're going to be doing it under a challenged and in, uh, in, in contested environment as you move logistics. And that's something we're we're certainly dealing with, and uh, so I'll we'll probably can add, a, add to that too. Yeah, there's
2: a term we're using in uh, the department, you know, and it's logistics under attack. Mm-hmm. and logistics under attack is not something we've done since world war 2 and you may recall you know the impact that german submarines had on ability to you know transport uh goods materiel, uh personnel uh to the european theater i mean we we know that any future conflict um the the part of getting out of town and getting to the theater is going to be challenged uh like like uh General Nahum said, um, in cyber, but uh we also think it's gonna be challenged in other ways. So logistic under attack is logistics under attack is something we have not done in uh, many, many years and, and we know it's a big problem for us.
0: Logistics under attack, that's such a, uh, a helpful term, I think. I, I just uh, took a vacation with my family up to the main coast, and we were at Portland Head Lighthouse, and and we were admiring the beautiful lighthouse there and getting all the pictures. And then I noticed there was a plaque, right uh, just a, sh- a, walk, a short walk down the coastline, where it talked about a German U-boat just offshore there had sunk uh, an American vessel, and dozens of Americans lost their lives, and they list each one of those those sailors by name. Uh, and uh, that's, of course, beyond the living memory of most Americans that we would have you know, and I'm not saying it's going to be a Chinese uh, submarine or something, but the idea that um, you know we we've had a past where our homeland is not necessarily a sanctuary, and and the more uh, preparation we could do now, then then uh, the more effective we'll be, and the more lives we can save. And so that just reminds me. And, and of course, the Air Force is focused on airlift and air refueling, right? So, um if we're not going to forward position everything forward, we're going to have to get it there uh and that means airlift, which means capacity and that means air refueling, which you know, so there's a KC-46 element there uh and and then also the uh, the command and control elements uh that goes behind all that that might that need to be protected from cyber attacks as well, I would think
1: yeah i I get- re- I'm gonna get reminded here when i when I get back to Alaska in two weeks because um we have a, a contingent from Japan coming up to uh, honor their their ancestors who were buried actually in the cemetery uh in Anchorage. Uh, and they were, um, uh, they, they, they died in the, uh, Aleutian campaign yeah. uh, on American soil on the island, too. Yes. Lattu. Yes. And we're, we're doing a, a small ceremony for their, uh, yeah. their ancestors. But so many don't realize yeah. that, that they, they, we were, we did have a small portion of America occupied on the That's Aleutian right. Well, not to, to mention
0: the, uh, the, the firebombing of, of Western, uh, forests, uh, during the war. And, and I actually have, my, my wife has a, uh, a relative on her side who actually fought uh, during World War II in the Aleutians there. So it's uh, sometimes it's helpful to remind ourselves of, of history that sometimes we're not as um, um, protected as maybe we think we are. And that's not a paranoia thing. That's that's take steps now to protect ourselves thing, I would say.
1: Yeah, and, and we see, obviously there's the, um, um, and it, it, you see in the public with um, uh, Russian aircraft coming into our air defense identification yeah. zone yeah. Uh, on a regular basis throughout the year. And it's something we deal with up and up. In that's the
0: actually US where population. I wanted to go next. I'm glad you mentioned it. The ADIs or aircraft identification zone, um, you know, following the February – the unprovoked February 24th Russian invasion of Ukraine. How have things changed up in Alaska in terms of Russia probing, Russian probing with bomb, long-range bombers?
1: I would say um, for that that incident, it has not changed it. What's probably changed the volume is uh, what's been going on in Ukraine.
0: So you're still and seeing it, but fewer of them?
1: Yeah, and, that, and and you can really take that back to the, the, the start of the um, uh, Russia's um, – uh, operations in Ukraine, just the volume has gone down because I think they're concentrated in other places, but they're certainly there. Um, uh, and you saw in the news in the last couple of weeks, there was another incursion into the uh, air defense identification zone.
0: Just for the listeners, if you wouldn't mind, can you just describe what that, I mean, I think a lot of them might not be aware that this is even happening at all. So, I mean, if you might just kind of talk it through, I mean, literally what Russia is doing and what an aid is, is what Russia is doing and why that, why we should care, why that matters.
1: Well, we just, we, you know, we, we in NORAD, we have the, uh, um, the air defense identification zone off the Alaska coast and certainly we call it the is the canadian yeah. identification zone off the canadian coast in the north and um the russians regularly come into this identification zone they stay away from us soil but they're in an area that we identify as our identification zone as as do other nations uh and um the um uh very often they'll show up with uh, bear bombers or fighters uh, tankers surveillance aircraft uh, we, um
0: uh, and bear bombers are the nuclear capable bombers. They the are. means part of their triad, the means by which they would deliver a nuclear weapon from a bomber to the and homeland.
1: One, one of the ways they could, one of the ways. Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. so, uh, it, it happens periodically. Like I said, the volume has certainly gone down in the last year, but, yeah. uh, it certainly does. It certainly does happen. And, that, and that's why we, uh, we, we stay ready with, uh, with our surveillance and our, our fighters and, and other assets to make sure we uh, keep an eye on the high north.
0: And so this goes back to what you are saying earlier. I, I would say detect, decide, deliver. So you're detecting that they're flying, and and then you guys literally will send fighters up to uh, intercept them, to let them know, hey, we're here, we see you, and don't do. do anything
2: we don't want, right? We do. Yeah. We, you know, we make I mean, sure they respond. You know, you think about it, an ADIS or Air Defense Identification Zone. It's, it's strictly that. It's a defensive measure where you identify uh, potential, you know, uh, offensive actions by an adversary so prudent 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 and and and, and
1: as we look to the future as we look at as threats change too we have to make sure that our our sensors and our ability to connect these sensors changes as well because the uh, the uh, the number one concern my my boss General Van Hurk has is certainly the uh, the domain awareness, and the domain awareness in the high north is is, is very challenging just because of the the nature of the terrain. Right. You know, to
0: interdict it, you have to first know that it's there, Absolutely. which is easier and, said than done.
1: And then before you even interdict it, you want to be able to give your decision makers that right. decision space, exactly. so they can decide what to do. And, exactly. and the, the earlier you can detect, the more decision space we give them. Makes
2: sense. And if we if we roll back the tapes on this conversation, just a couple minutes back to the threat. Uh, the threat is changing uh, in ways that challenge our ability to, you know, one, detect them, but two, identify them. Hmm. Anything more that you can say on that, on how it's changing? I'll we'll leave that too, the <laughs> <laughs> Nice move. Well, I mean, yeah.
1: you know, you can see, uh, uh, you know, the um, – Certainly the technology since the Cold War has changed, mm-hmm. but in many, many ways, uh, you know, so we, we have to evolve too about how, how we are going to detect our, the threats out there beyond, beyond what, what, what we saw during the Cold War. Certainly when you see some of the technologies coming out, hypersonics and other things, we have to make sure that we're, we're adjusting, um, adjusting with those and. I guess I'll leave it at that.
0: Sounds good. Just putting a bow on the. Unless you guys, gentlemen, have anything else to add, putting a bow on the China-Russia thing. I would just uh, note uh, for the listeners that you know Russia has long had what we call a triad: the ability to hit our homeland with intercontinental ballistic missiles, with submarine-launched ballistic missiles, and with um, uh, missiles coming from bombers, which we just discussed. China, of course, is, is building and expanding their own triad, and so that so we now have two uh, great power adversaries that have um, a, a, a triad are fielding. A triad that could threaten our homeland. So I think that's significant. Want to say, just t- quickly talk about North Korea because, unfortunately, those two nation states are not the only countries that can threaten our homeland. We know that North Korea has been developing for quite some time uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles and has nuclear weapons. And um, is there anything you gentlemen would say about the North Korean threat to our homeland?
1: Um, I, I would say certain certainly have to because it is um, uh, a bit of a wild card and uh, knowing, knowing what North Korea is going to do. And they certainly have the capability. Uh, to not only affect us, but certainly our, 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 uh, our, our friends and partners in that region too. So it's something we, we, we certainly watch uh, very closely. Um, um, the, uh, um, because it, it could have an effect on the homeland and certainly would have an effect on our partners in the region. You know, one of the things, you know, there are, we're, we're, we're talking a little bit of doom and gloom about what it looks yeah. like in the Pacific. There, there's some positive things too. Good. We have some very good friends and very good partners. Yeah, yeah. We we'll get to that part. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and every time I yeah. travel, yeah. Um, I'm just more yeah. and more encouraged good. Um, by, how, by how close we are, by how like-minded we are with our, our, our partners and friends in the region who really want to see it peaceful. You know, when I look at the, you look at the South China Sea, East China Sea, and, and then I very, I spent a lot of time in the Arctic too. You just want to make, you, you want these commons, these worldwide commons to stay peaceful and open for yeah. all. Um, And it's, it's good to have friends that uh, think the same way we do.
2: Yeah. 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 I would, I would add on that North Korea piece, you know, North Korea has proven to be a rogue actor And a rogue actor with nuclear weapons. So that stable deterrent relationship that we might have with a a Russia or China, you know, where it's a deterrence by punishment that perhaps may not work with uh, North Korea. So you take a look at how we're deterring North Korea right now through, you know, uh, deterrence by denial and uh, a missile defense system. Uh, I think that's, that's an appropriate and prudent, uh, measure to take against North Korea. I also think that we've got, you know, great partners and we've got a South Korea that's, that's been building. You take a look at, uh, the South Korean Air Force. Uh, they've got uh, a large number of Mm F-35s, advanced F-15s and F-16s on the peninsula that they didn't have, you know, even 10, 15 years ago.
1: I served in South Korea in 2008, 2009, and, uh, what a difference. Yeah. You look at the Air Force today, unbelievable yeah. where South Korea has come, just looking at the – being very parochial, just looking at the Air Force yeah. piece of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, That's great. So, General Kunkel, I, I never want to be accused of being a, a Debbie Downer. And so, you know, I often ask myself if I were a Martian landing on planet Earth, uh, what country would I would want to be? And uh, it's my sense that uh, while we have challenges uh, domestically and in abroad um, – uh, if you look at all things considered, there is, there is no country better positioned than the United States. Would you agree with that? I, I completely
2: agree with that sentiment. And uh, we've talked a lot about headaches. We've talked about aspirins. Uh, but I will always bet on the USA. I'll always bet on the U.S. Air Force. We've got the right folks uh, leading us into you know the, the future, and, and we're going to be okay.
0: Okay. You know, Nahum, you, you've talked several times about allies and partners, and that that's really a, a major research focus here. Um, you know, a lot of what um, uh, I know about international relations, you know, I, I learned on the playground that when you got a bully, it's good to uh, go get some of the other kids together and uh, not approach the bully uh, alone, but approach the bully with a coalition of people with common interests. And, and you stick a finger in the chest of the bully as a group and say, knock it off. We're going to fly and sail where international law permits. We're not looking for conflict, um, but uh, you don't want to mess with us. Um, uh, what are we, what are we doing right now with allies and partners that help increase deterrence and, 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 and make sure that hopefully we don't ever have to uh, confront some of the conflict we're talking about.
1: Yeah. That's where I'm, I'm, very, very comfortable with where, where we are with allies and partners. You know, if you, you go to my headquarters, my, my deputy commander is a Canadian general officer mm-hmm. um, the, in the Arctic side that I work very closely. You know, we, we spoke previously. I, I do believe the Arctic is NATO business now We're we're seven of the eight Arctic nations right. are, are in NATO. Um, you look at the South Pacific. You look at the exercises we do with um, uh, exercises on Guam with Australia and Japan. Uh, certainly, v- recently with Singapore, yeah. uh, we uh, in, in Thailand with many nations. We're we're going back to Malaysia this fall for another large exercise. Yeah. We're in Australia all the time. We've got partnerships and allies in the um, in the Pacific. Uh, that our adversaries, our competitors, uh, can't just just can't match, right. and I think that puts us in a very good position moving forward.
0: No, that's so well said. I, I, I'm of the opinion that China and Russia can only dream of having the allies that we have, and, and I, I. But uh, alliances uh, need to be nurtured and maintained and strengthened. And it's my sense that that's exactly what you gentlemen are doing. So I think that's great. All right, so let's uh let's, let's let's switch now to the uh aspirin section. So, um we we've, we've we've uh we've talked about the threats. I I have a big headache, so let's let's talk about what we can do about it. What are the means at your disposal General Nahum, to address some of these threats? What do you have currently? Uh, we're going to talk a bit about, in a minute about what you need that you don't have, but what are what are the tools in your tool bag for dealing with some of these threats currently?
1: Um you know, we we do have the ability to sense. We do have the ability to um to 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 connect systems, bring it together, and we do have defensive firepower to get up there and actually defend the homeland in the high north. There are challenges, certainly, with domain awareness, and uh, certainly things that I worry about. There are some um, technologies coming down the road in the very near in the very near future that are they're going to help that. Um, I think we work. Uh, you know, again, one of the good things that the, um, the, the balloon incident showed is we've got a very good cooperation with our Canadian allies. And when, when these, uh, threats move between the U.S. from Alaska into Canada into the U.S., uh, the seams, uh, there were no seams. It was very, it was very, uh, uh very, very fluid in how we, uh, we discuss threats uh, between our, between our two nations. Um, I think we got a lot of great allies in the North right now. Mm-hmm. The interesting, interesting thing is you have eight Arctic nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and as of, you know, when, when Sweden and Finland assess in the NATO, all but one of those nations is NATO. Mm-hmm. Russia, yeah. And um, so there's a, there's an ability for NATO to have a huge effect on the Arctic and the high north and, and that that piece of the defense of the homeland, too, which we're very encouraged by.
0: You're, talking, you're using the term sensing, you know, detecting what, uh, what competitors or adversaries are doing. Uh, as we see uh, sea ice melting more, are you seeing more maritime traffic? Are you seeing more Russian? I, I know before the, the invasion of Ukraine, I, a couple of years ago, I did some research and I was observing all kinds of Russian military activity in the north uh, the placement of, uh, if I if I remember correctly, anti ship uh, anti ship uh, missiles near the Bering Strait. Other things, anything that you. I, I know I'm kind of going back a little bit to headache, but anything in terms of the sensing piece that you're seeing in terms of maritime activity in light of sh- uh, of melting sea ice.
1: You know, where, I, where I live in NORAD, I, I live in the Aerospace warning Aerospace control, yeah, yeah. but I work very closely with um, our our service, especially. Um, I can't say enough about the Coast Guard and District 17 up up in Alaska. Officially
0: under-resourced, I would say, in the far north, as far as I
1: can tell. They've got a large area of responsibility as well. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But you you, you look at climate change, um, and without getting into the politics, Mm -hmm. the climate is changing in the high north. And there's three – probably significant issues with that. You know, num- uh, number one is the coastal erosion. Um, and you, you see some of that a- along the, uh, a- along the Northern coast. You also see a permafrost changing mm-hmm. and where that, where that's playing, we built a lot of stuff in Alaska and other places on top of the permafrost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you, a, and if you want to see evidence of that the permafrost changing, you can look at the cracks in some of our runways up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the big one is opening up a new, uh, new routes, new sea routes between, um, between Asia and Europe. And, mm-hmm. um, New uh, exploration for uh, for gas and oil and other rare earth minerals. There is the the concern in the high north is that the the, uh, our, the climate change is bringing a lot of opportunity. Right. Opportunity is is catching the attention certainly of Russia and China, um, and uh, opportunities could easily bring a conflict and crisis. Right.
0: History, uh, as a student of history, uh, history tells me, a study of it suggests that uh, where you have economic interest, usually military power follows. So if, if, I, if, if I hear you saying that there's increased opportunity for, for economic uh, revenue opportunities there, and, and, and we should expect that Russia, who's been there a long time, but increasingly perhaps China, will be active in the high north, I would imagine.
1: You could look at routes through, through the high north that would actually cut down transit between Asia and Europe by days and weeks. Yeah. And, uh, and that could be very significant, very significant economic interest to get up there.
0: General, General Kunkel, I'd love to go to you, and unless you have anything else you want to add in terms of what you're currently in, in the kit bag. But, you know, what are you looking at in terms of what the Air Force or DOD more broadly, if you want to, needs but does not have to address future threats to our homeland and,
2: and or Alaska? So I would, I would say when you take a look at the threats, and we talked about them in the headache portion, you know, particularly the range and the sophistication of uh, – of the weapons that our adversaries are pursuing. Um, none of the solutions to those problems are beyond the technical capability of the United States industrial base. Mm. So I'm not worried about things from a technical perspective. Mm. Um, I am worried about uh, resourcing and funding. You know, we, we just had that the debt limit uh, deal that was signed, which limits, you know, uh, spending growth. Um, you know, 24 is going to be uh largely not effective, but we can expect that it won't grow. And then 25 has a 1% lid on it as you, as you are trying to modernize as well as do current ops, like we, like we talked about in the previous section, that really, really, uh, is a huge challenge. Um, because that modernization, it's, they're, they're big bills in those solutions that are technically feasible, uh, we may not have the resources to to deliver. That's such an important point. And I want to make sure I,
0: I narrow nail it down for the listeners. So you're saying under the current agreement, if all goes as planned, and often sometimes doesn't in DC, but for fiscal year 2025, that uh, that the, the Air Force, the Air Force is looking for a one percent nominal, not real growth in its budget. Did I get no, that I think right? That's-
2: it's not the Air Force is oh, looking yeah. at it. Writ large, yeah. the, the entirety of the budget has yeah. got a 1% yeah. yes. cap on it right. you know, for the Department of Defense. Yeah, so, okay. Right. So uh, whether you – know, what that looks like internally to the Department of yes. Defense and if there's a reshuffle between the services, you know that's, that's yes. uh, for the department to determine. Sure. Um, but that is – that in a period where there's 1% growth, not real growth, but 1% growth prior to inflation, that creates really, really big challenges for us.
0: And I just want to foot stomp that because uh, I would just note that the National Defense Strategy Commission, in its final report published a few years ago, this was uh, – full disclosure, this was for the last national defense strategy in the previous administration – recommended uh, that uh, we, the United States, increase our defense budget 3 uh, to 5% above inflation for uh, – across the FIDEP. The future year's defense program, you know, the, uh, for the foreseeable future, and I hear you saying uh, the under this agreement that we're not even coming anywhere, anywhere close to that, and so that so we have growing threats and a budget that, um, depending on inflation, may not even keep up with inflation. Yeah,
2: that actually your buying power uh, goes down because right, of exactly. because of inflation. So
0: effectively, budget. it's it would, it would be a defense budget cut if you have inflation at two or three percent
2: level. Yeah, that's correct. So. So although we, we've got the technical capabilities that the purchasing power that we have is, is less. So that's, that's, I think my biggest concern. You know, we, we're, all these problems are technically feasible. Uh, we know where our gaps are. We know what the solutions to those gaps are. Uh, it's a matter of resourcing.
0: We've talked about sensing, and you just talked about technical feasibility. I I, I would probably get some uh, listener criticisms if I didn't ask about the balloon. Uh, you know, even though that's a little bit in the rearview mirror. So I, I, I please forgive me. I must do that. Um, but but it's important, right? Because we don't want the we don't. I I'll just speak for myself. I don't like the idea of. The Chinese Communist Party being able to send balloons over the continental United States and hovering over our military bases, as far as I can tell. I ask questions like, why would they? That seems pretty brazen to me. Uh, you know, it wasn't a weather balloon; it was a spy balloon, as far as I can tell, with reference to you. Uh, and uh, you know, what additional value are they getting that they're not getting from the, their low Earth orbit satellites? And why did apparently we have so many of these going over uh, the U.S. and overseas bases without us knowing or not knowing? So, what I realize a lot of it's classified. I don't want to go anywhere near any of that. But you know, to the curious patriotic listener, what would you say about you know, did we have a blind spot here? Is that blind spot fixed? What more do you need to Get after this in the future.
1: I think we are in a good position to sense these things coming into our country. We, we obviously, especially the, the the first one that caught all the news, um, we, you know, we 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 sensed it pretty quickly in, in Alaska, um, and we had fighters on it pretty quickly in Alaska too. And then it, it became, you know, what 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 do we what do we do next? And that's the uh, the conversation. Um, it certainly floated through Alaska into Canada, into the lower, yeah. lower 48. And there was an uh, ongoing conversation about, um, uh, what, what to do with the, uh, the system. Um, you know, that large one that was, was ultimately shot down over South Carolina was, it was, was a large system. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, you know, where you shoot it down, how, how you can safely bring it down was certainly part of the conversation.
0: Right one of the core questions I like to ask is you know, and I've asked a version of it but just drill down a little bit more on on what you what you need that you don't have and I realize that can sometimes be sensitive and you know and you, but you'll answer it or not the way you want to uh, here, here's a version of that question in the fiscal year 2024 budget proposal that the administration and the department has submitted to Congress are there things in there uh, I guess those would go to you general Nahum, that are particularly important to help you accomplish your mission things that, that being authorized or appropriate in the fiscal year 2024 budget that would be particularly Useful.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, in my position, I look very closely. You, you brought up Milcon. I yeah. look certainly at um, uh, we, we, we um, facilities, uh, sustainment, modernization. Um, you know, we have an a, a acronym FSRM, but, you know, the, the money to upgrade um, yes. and support the facilities I have in the Pacific, it's very hard to maintain things, uh, especially some of the locations like Guam yes. and Hawaii, which you have um, uh, very uh, damp environments. So I look very closely at that and the Milcon piece, too, to see what's coming in there. Um, certainly, as some assets move move out, we want to make sure new assets are coming in um, so we uh, uh, can maintain. And the other part I, I'm watching very closely is the readiness budgets. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure that we have the flying hours and the maintenance yes. equipment. So uh, because um, uh, the stuff General Kunkel talking about is exactly where our nation needs to go, exactly where Air Force needs to go. But the enemy may come sooner than that gear right. is ready. Right. So we, we may have to go to war with what we have right now. And I got to right. make sure that I have a, a, a peak of readiness.
0: Before we uh, started recording, you and I were talking about the E3 and the E7. This has been an area of research focus here. We've published three or four op-eds on that. Um, anything that you want to say about the need to replace the E3 yesterday with the E7 in terms of uh, your, your battle space you're looking no,
1: the, at? the E3 does a valuable mission right now with, with what it can do, command and control. It certainly has got some antiquated pieces of, of that of, of that weapon system. Uh, but it certainly still is still a very valuable um, weapon system until we can get its replacement. The E7 and the
0: fundamental right. of the sensing mission, yeah. right, and seeing it, what the adversary is doing long before you get to yeah. the targeting decision. And really it really comes
1: down to two things: it's um, it's uh, the maintainability. Yeah, it's, it's getting very hard to maintain that seven hundred seven airframe on yeah. the E3, yeah. um, and to get a modern weapon system like the right. E7 will be fen- phenomenal. As well as the E7 brings a capability. That the E3 doesn't have, with certain certainly some of the networks um, and the sensors that it brings. So, we're excited to bring it on. We in uh, I'll speak for the Pacific. We can't get it fast enough, right? Because it, it'll be a huge add to our oh, add to our. Are machine. we doing
0: everything we can to expedite uh, deployment of it?
1: Uh, I'll I'll turn that over yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: one. I think we are. We're doing everything we possibly can uh, to get that new capability uh, online as quickly as we possibly can in the numbers that are required. Uh, to, to counter the threat and if I could if I could add it's, on to yeah. this 24 discussion yeah. and uh, uh in my mind and I think it's shared uh, professionally within the building the number one factor with a budget that we need is an actual budget on time right so right. operating under a continuing resolution keeps right. us from modernizing at the pace that we <laughs> yeah. need to yeah. uh, so yeah. if we can get a budget on time yeah. that's the number one factor for yeah. us. I would say we've got a significant amount of procurement on our budget that we need to protect, mm-hmm. uh, both existing programs and programs that are currently in development. Yeah, You know, you've, you've seen the B21. Uh, we had yeah. the, we had the rollout ceremony. That's the new bomber That's for the new our bomber. triad. That's yeah. a new bomber. I think we need to ensure we protect the funding for that. We've yeah. got a significant amount of fighter investments. We need to protect those investments. We've got the E3, uh, yeah. the E7 transition yeah. as we discussed, which is critical. We've also got a uh, another uh uh portion of our budget that's dedicated to what we're calling operational imperatives. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that are absolutely critical for us as we modernize the force and transform frankly to fight a fight that's never been fought before. Right. Uh so those operational imperatives that are in our budget uh that that go the, the gamut of the Air Force, you know, uh content are incredibly important for our budget this year.
0: That's great. Uh, an on-time budget and uh, foot foot stomping this one for my uh, former colleagues on the Hill, and you gentlemen don't need to co- uh, comment. And also for uh, folks not in the Beltway, you know, you hear the term continuing resolution. This is this is what. Congress does when it, I would say it fails to fulfill its Article I, Section 8 uh, responsibilities under the Constitution uh, vis-a-vis the Department of Defense, where it literally takes the budget from the previous fiscal year and essentially copies and pastes it. And so if you hear what this discussion we're having as the threat is evolving, you don't want to copy and paste last year's budget because if you do that, you're not helping give our warfighters what they need because you're looking at yesterday's threat rather than today or tomorrow's threat. And um, also and it prevents you from starting new programs, right? If you have a continuing resolution, you can't start a new program, which can delay it by months or years,
2: correct? That's right. Yeah. So one of the the biggest factors of a continuing resolution is just that. You can't start new programs. and, And in the 24 cycle, we have a significant number of new programs that we're starting that are absolutely imperative to this future fight.
0: That's great. Okay. And then
2: um, I,
0: I, I always like to ask about unfunded requirements. And you can answer it or not answer if you, if you don't want to or want to. But um, so we just talked about, I asked, what was in the budget that is most important to you? You answered that. You talked about fighters, B-21, E-7, operational imperatives, and getting the budget on time before the end of the fiscal year and the new fiscal year starting October 1st. Um, is there anything that, that uh, in uh, the Air Force's unfunded requirements that would be particularly helpful to defending our homeland?
2: So I'll, I'll talk to unfunded requirements. Unfunded requirements are frankly the the domain of service chiefs. Um, but I will say that that, that three to five percent growth that you talked about is absolutely critical for the Department of Defense and for the United States Air Force to transform into the force we need. Uh, so I, I don't know that I'll go into specific content, uh, but. But just the continued growth of the budget as we continue to one operate an air force, but at the same time transform, uh, is crucial.
0: That's a great point. And as I've discussed with General Wilsbach, who who uh, we had the podcast with, and with the A eight, and, and, and previous conversations I had with the uh, the event we did with the Air Force Chief of Staff, you know, it's just the basic idea that you gentlemen understand well: the strategy, the coordination of ends and means, uh, and if the threat is growing and the budget is not keeping pace of that, then you have a, a growing gap between the military we have and the military we need. Um, and so these these conversations can sound very wonky when you're talking about percentage this, percentage that. But the bottom line is, if we're going to give our warfighters a mission, we should probably give them the means to accomplish that mission, especially at a time when we confront China, Russia, Iran, North Korea all at the same time.
2: Yeah, that's right. The means are The means are fundamentally changing.
0: That's right. That's right. Gentlemen, in addition to the balloon question, I, I probably would also get listener criticism if I didn't ask you about Santa tracking. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Santa, as many of uh, our listeners probably are. Tell us about NORAD Santa tracking. Do you have the capabilities you need to make sure we keep a, a spot on the uh, Jolly Old
1: Elf? Well, I'll start, and I'll turn over General Conkle. We, we have, obviously, we, like we talked about having the, the, the sensors and systems in place yeah. to, to monitor yeah. what yeah. comes into the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. We can obviously see into the high north, okay. and, and we we see one significant object okay. in December Good. coming out of the high north. and. We certainly watch it, and uh, and, and uh, NORAD has a the website and the monitoring. Okay, we, we, we present it to the the, the country, but uh.
2: yeah. So i spent several years at NORAD, and and actually got to be part of the team that tracks Santa, and was on the call, uh, uh, phone or call bank. As children, we're calling in to track Santa, and, and I can guarantee that we do have that capability. Okay, good. You know, right. as a nation, that's something we pride ourselves on, and then uh, being able to tell young children when Santa's coming and when he's going to be at their homes is, is something we take great pride in. I'm glad you
0: gentlemen have your priorities correct. And I would that's imagine right. that Rudolph's red nose makes it a little easier to detect than maybe, I don't know, like a Chinese balloon or something <laughs> like that. So. <laughs> L-
1: little 10 a little point Good iron sensor.
0: In, with your future hat on, General Kunkel, anything else you want to say as we move to close here about what you're doing right now to ensure that our grandchildren have what they need to defend our country?
2: If the enemy is moving in an area that we haven't been before, you know, and, and countering all of our strengths and and uh, trying to turn those into weaknesses. and And we've got – We've got the plan, uh, to build it. It's a matter of resource in it. Uh, I think, I think we've got the right folks in the right places, uh, to, to get the Air Force design that we need. Um, if we get the funding, we can actually, you know, present that. Uh, we're, we're ultimately looking at, you know, the force that we're going to, that we are going to present to our grandchildren. Uh, we're right now we're operating the force that Ronald Reagan Bought. right it's it's time to transform the force it's time to modernize it 30
0: force. 40 years ago correct Joe nao any concluding uh, remarks no, comments I,
1: I, I think uh just kind of dovetailing what uh, general Kunkel said the um you, you look at the you look at the Air Force right now uh, we are we we do have an aged aircraft you know you, we were just talking about the um uh, the 707 variant the e3a wax or mm-hmm. many of our fighters came out came off the line in the mid 80s and many, many of the fighters that we operate in the Pacific right now.
0: Older than the pilots flying them as is, is right. unfortunately, Absolutely.
1: absolutely. And, yeah. and what you're seeing is as we are pulling F-15s out of Kadena and places yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, these, Kadena, these,
0: the base it, in Japan, yeah. where I one would think we'd want to have real robust forward positioned air power.
1: And we're, and we're keeping fighters there, but we yeah. have to rotate, rotate and it. we, we yeah. get asked all the time, why are you pulling them out? And well, every one of those airplanes is beyond service life. Right and so there there is some investment to make make sure we can maintain the, the presence we have right now i will say though uh from the current ops is we have to we have to look how we fight differently too you know general brown always challenges us to accelerate change yeah um, and we certainly do that. And the, uh, and you watch the, the, uh, you, you let the air, you let the young airmen go yeah. and they'll show you how you can do things differently. You know, we're not going to be operating from you know single large bases in the Pacific. We're going to be operating right. from many locations and airmen are going to be doing many different things, uh, to, uh, to operate those aircraft to make sure we, we have the, uh, the presence we need. Um, uh, what, what I find is if, um, if we, if we just let them go, they'll, they'll, they'll show us how we can do things differently. And sometimes with relatively small amounts of resources, right uh, to, to do things, to to do things better. Um, the, uh, uh, I would say also that the, the gear we are getting, the new stuff we are getting, whether it's F 35s or some of the other systems, it, it, it's excellent. You, you can't understate what, what the, uh, the U S can produce in our weapon systems. And I'm very excited watching some of these new weapon systems come into the Pacific and watching them integrate into the, into the fight there. I think we're well poised for the future. Um, I think we, we, you know, for me personally, I watch the readiness for the current. Um, And I'm very, very confident in General Kunkel and his team watching uh, for what what we're bringing in the future.
0: Jim, I want to thank you both sincerely for uh, spending a little time talking with me. I've learned a lot and I've enjoyed it. Thank you for your decades of service to our country. Thanks to your families. Um, I want to thank the the men and women that you lead uh, and work with. And I also want to thank the listeners for joining us here on Foreign Policy.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Foreign Policy. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us, preferably with 5 stars. Ratings and reviews help give us visibility and the opportunity to reach more people who seek to understand the most critical national security
2: and foreign policy issues. Also, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.
1: Follow FDD on social media and visit our website at fdd.org. There you can find research by FDD experts, you can subscribe to all FDD's products. You can catch up on any past episodes you may have missed. Finally, we'd love your feedback, your ideas, your questions, your criticisms. Send us an email at foreignpodacy Until next time, I'm Cliff May, and you've been listening to Foreign Policy.